welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, my name is Craig Coleman. I'm a professor at the University of Connecticut School of Pharmacy, and it's my distinct pleasure to have my colleague and friend, Paul Dovesh here. Uh, Paul is from the University of Nebraska Medical Center School of Pharmacy. Um, Paul, thank you very much for uh, taking the time today. Yes, uh, thank you for having me. My pleasure to be here. Um, So we were both at the most recent International Society for Thrombosis and Hemostasis meeting uh, not too long ago, and you presented a very uh, impactful and well-done study uh, comparing the... uh, effectiveness of indexin alpha to four-factor PCC. Can you tell us a little bit about that study and what some of the key findings were? Sure, I'd be happy to. Like you said, I think it was a really impactful uh, data to present. Basically, we presented, this is a study uh, looking at patients. Basically, you had to have a a code for major bleeding. It had to be, uh, the patient had to be on either a pixaban or a veroxaban prior to the bleed for this hospitalization. They had to either a dexanid alpha or a four-factor prothrombin concentrate for treatment. Uh, and then we had to know what their discharge uh, disposition was. So, you know, no loss to follow-up to information there. And so basically we collected data in uh, 354 hospitals, in 42 states. And we, ended, we had uh, 4,395 patients. So to my knowledge, it's the largest real-world evidence collected by several fold in this area. And uh, we also did uh, logistic regression analysis to correct for differences between groups. We also uh, had time from last dose. And so with all that information and and through the regression analysis demonstrated a 50% reduction in in in-hospital mortality for patients getting uh, indexinate alpha instead of that major bleed treated with a four-factor PCC. Um, What's also interesting is that 50% reduction in mortality um, those data were consistent when we were able to look at subgroups of patients with intracranial hemorrhage, as well as those with GI bleeding. Um, and so, you know, with this large of a database and some real power to make these types of uh, findings, uh, I think this is the ability to hopefully uh, impact some practice going forward. Oh, absolutely. And it, it sounds like there are a couple of really important or distinct uh, strengths of this study that we really should reinforce. And again, and one, it sounds like you had a very large sample size, and I know that you'll agree that if you look at the literature, um, we're talking a sample size many-fold larger than what you would typically see for either a single-arm study that an individual institution might be performing on either one or other agent or even doing a comparative analysis. And I think that's very important. I also think it's incredibly important that you implemented um, this multivariable logistic regression method, right? So it's very important that we control for potential confounders and that we adjust for those differences in patient populations. Because as we can imagine, there are going to be important differences between patients who receive one agent over the other, just based upon physician gestalt, you know, how they go about, <laughs> yeah. You know, making these decisions. So based on on your data, what do you think uh, this does in terms of what are the current state of the guidelines? And maybe what do you think your study uh, adds in terms of the guidelines for reversal of 
dooxins, particularly oral anti-factor 10A inhibitors? Yeah, I think, you know, I think our, the, these data build on many of the limitations of the existing real-world evidence that you mentioned. You know, a lot of the real-world evidence is single center or single system. We're across 42 different states and 30 hospital, uh, 300 hospitals, right? Many of the existing real-world data that exists is very small. There are some studies that suggest there's no difference between these agents. But to my knowledge, the largest of those studies to date is 109 patients. And we are 40-fold times that. So there's clearly a power issue, right? A high risk of a type 2 error with these, with these smaller studies. And it shows that when you actually look at larger numbers of patients, we see some differences. Um, you know, it, we uh, we correct for the baseline variables. Most of these smaller studies don't do that. We have time from last dose, so we actually know that we actually have something to reverse. Most of these other studies don't have that. So it really is building on this. And one of the things, too, Craig, that I know you and I have discussed, and maybe I'll throw this back to you, is, you know, most of the existing data right now is in this, that the comparative data uh, has mainly looked at uh, data with patients with intracranial hemorrhage. And what about, you know, GI bleeds? Because we actually had some, a lot of GI bleeds in this study. I think uh, we had 2,567. Um, you know, I know you've reviewed these data. What have you found in the world of GI bleeding? Absolutely. So th there's a very large or uh, quite a paucity of literature in terms of the relative efficacy and safety, particularly in real world settings. Of, of these agents in terms of treating uh, gastrointestinal bleeds. You, it's very rare, if any, that you'll, you'll actually see a study that actually focused specifically on looking at gastrointestinal bleeds. They do on occasion occur with, you know, as a subset of some of the studies that have been out there in the past. However, we're usually talking about a small handful of patients, which really doesn't allow us to make any real or draw any real solid conclusions. Uh, in addition, of course, you know, and this is something that we'll, we'll have, you know, perhaps think about as in, in as future studies are done in gastrointestinal uh, reversal of gastrointestinal bleeds. Is you know, not all gastrointestinal bleeds are the same, right? Yeah. We have upper we have upper gastrointestinal bleeds, lower gastrointestinal bleeds, variceal bleeding, right? And so. Um, those are important things to consider. And, you know, we know that there are, for instance, risk scores that are associated yep. with trying to assess what the outcomes of these patients are. And I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, when it's in your study that there were some attempts to assess some of those risk scores for gastrointestinal bleeds. So at least when we say that we you adjusted for potential confounders, some of that was factored in even within the gastrointestinal bleed subset. Yeah, we we about 70% of our GI bleeds has an AIM-65 score, which actually wasn't part of the original analysis because we looked at everybody, right? And and so not everyone collects those data. But, you know, we had 70% of patients had an AIM-65 score. We actually did a separate analysis to just look at those patients to make sure in case there were differences between those scores. They look very similar, but uh, just to make sure we're comparing apples to apples and that... Uh, that 50% reduction in mortality holds consistent, actually grew a little bit, but, you know, um, but yeah, it's very consistent. And, you know, just to go back to what you were asking me about the guidelines, uh, I think there's a huge misinterpretation of the guidelines as they're written even today, right? The guidelines today, right, will say indexed alpha, right? That's the treatment for these 10A related bleeds. And then it says, if not available, 
consider a four-factor PCC. And I think that this has been manipulated, right? The reason that if not available is there is because when the drug first came out, when the Dexeda Alpha first came out, right, there it was very limited supply. Um, and so most patients, most places could not physically get the drug in their hospital. And so if you didn't have it, the thought here is, well, if you got nothing else, you could try four-factor PCC. It is not, right? The way a lot of people are using this is the not available is not because you chose not to put it on your formulary, right? It's not because of our decision not to have it. It's because we couldn't physically get it. And so the, our decision not to have it is not acceptable as if not available because I decided not to make it available. Everybody now can get it. And that is the guideline recommendation, recommendation of this therapy. And so I, you know, and I think also, you know, will this change guidelines? It's hard to say. It's real world evidence. But I think, you know, you combine our very large study uh, and the magnitude of reduction in in-hospital mortality, and you combine that with the, the stopped NXI. We're not going to know exactly what that is, but, you know, it's probably at least, it's at least a 10% benefit in hemostatic efficacy, right? So we've got data now from a randomized controlled trial, and we've got a very large real world trial looking at mortality. The, the argument to continue to use a four-factor PCC is really thin, right? I mean, I guess, you know, when you, whenever you're looking at this, right, you stack up your best data for indexin alpha and you stack up your best data for a four-factor PCC. And this is this is not really a fair, this is right. we have randomized control, we have prospective data and other studies. We've got study of over 4,000 patients, right, real-world evidence. And I think the best data over here for four-factor PCC is like a single center uh, 109 patients comparative, and like another study that looked at a single arm study looking at hemostatic efficacy retrospectively. I mean, those are not apples and apples, right? This is a completely different, there's completely different landscaping and the evidence that's available. And we just have to really be honest with ourselves as clinicians about this is where this, where this lies. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are some very astute observations about the guidelines and how they're being applied, you know, kind of generally. Um, and of course, we also have to remember, you know, even within the discussion of, of using PCCs or four-factor PCC, right, that there's even, there's even within the guidelines controversies there, for instance, dosing, right? So, right. you know, do you use the high dose? Do you use the low dose? Um, dose guidelines yeah. suggest, right, that you know, or at least some of the guidelines suggest that we should be using a 50 international unit per kilogram dose, yep. but at the same time, when you look at the real world evidence, all these studies, we're talking probably three dozen studies at this point, looking at real world four-factor PCC at individual, individual institutions, and a good, probably the majority of patients are still receiving a lower dose of four-factor yep. PCC. So another example of how we're not necessarily following what the guidelines suggest. Um, and so it's... It's definitely uh, a situation or there's room for additional research, but I absolutely agree with you with studies like yours, which again, I want to compliment you on. I think it was an excellent study and very well done, very impactful uh, with what we're about to hopefully find out fairly soon about an XI. Again, you summarize it very nicely. What we do, we don't know much, but what we do know for sure is that mm -hmm. it was stopped early because there was at least a 10% absolute benefit in hemostatic efficacy with indexin and alpha over standard of care. Not exactly sure what standard of care means, but we'll hopefully we'll find out more details soon. Yeah. 
But with all this data adding up, it's becoming increasingly, in, in my opinion as well, more difficult to justify a, a four-factor PCC strategy only. So with that, Paul, I'd like to thank you very much for uh, taking the time today to uh, have this little roundtable discussion about uh, your study and the guidelines and where we are in terms of reversal of oral factor 10 inhibitors in patients who are having major bleeds, in in, again, in particular, intracranial, he intracranial hemorrhage, but also gastrointestinal bleeds. Yeah. Thank you very much well, for your time. Yep, thank you. And I appreciate the invitation. It's always good to work with you, Craig. Thank right. you. Thank you. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME, LLC, and is part of our Minute CE curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.